Good hunting, stalker. Welcome to Four Movies. I'm Sam. <laughs> There's no such thing as facts, especially here. <laughs> I'm Sarah. <laughs> so today we're covering Stalker, the 1979 uh, Tarkovsky-directed movie. Uh, came right out of Russia, Soviet Russia. And uh, yeah, it's lauded as... It's a very good film. I'm glad I took the time to watch it, digest it, because it is a very movie you need to sit down envelop and get like involved yeah. in. and, and it's easy to do that at first i looked at the runtime and i was like fuck Same us yeah. <laughs> like i forgot that it was this long um but then you go into it and you do get just like swept away by it like mm -hmm. it happens it's so it drags on so much but it does it so quickly almost it's a weird again like with time i know that this is one of his big things yes. in movies is like the time aspect but it really does feel like this weird vacuum that it exists in. <laughs> yeah, because it feels like weird. Like it's almost like a movie that isn't a movie, like kind of sense with playing with the time, but also being like, you feel like you're transported to somewhere else. Yeah, it's more like an experience. Yes. Like, like you definitely get immersed in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because where he lingers on shots, where like there's just so much like... Not exposition, because the way they explain the lore behind everything, mm -hmm. like taken from the book. It's just those running titles, and it's yeah. super basic, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. so vague, because he wants to be flexible with all these, like, psychological, philosophical themes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was like this, like, Star Wars opening with a running right. title <laughs> saying, this is what happened in, in the zone, and here we are. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you... you learn from the characters of like what happens in there and everything and like how it cha the zone changes and like because there's three main characters but there's actually four because the fourth is the zone and itself is a character mm. of where they're describing right like, because it manipulates the plot it yeah, manipulates totally. like we can't go back because of this because it's playing this way you can't do this because it has its own set of rules and they treat it like a living thing mm -hmm. which is cool because yeah. it has like its own, like you have to respect it, you have to do this, follow its own paths because it changes all the time. And yeah, it's like a living kind of entity. That's why there's like, to me, there's always this lingering suspense of the zone. Yeah, totally. Because it's yeah. so unpredictable. And, and as soon as you kind of get into those first few minutes in the zone, because first it starts off with the whole mystery of getting there mm -hmm. and like what it is. Yeah. And then you're in it, and um, I think, like, for me, the moment was um, when the the writer, I think, wanders mm -hmm. off, and he's like, no, like, I'm going to start going this way, like, I want to find this room. Yeah. And then he, um, like, something stops him and, like, calls out that voice. Yeah. As soon as it, like, because obviously it sounds like one of the other men. Yeah, it's hard to distinguish, which is like, I was like, we talking? And, and, and like, I'm sure they got one of them to say it. Like, mm -hmm. like for sure, you know? Um, but then it was just like, oh no, that, that wasn't me. And suddenly you realize that the rules of logic do not apply. And everything's like shrouded in this mystery all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Because of the stalker, like they have to listen to it, but they keep questioning. It's like, why do we have to do this? Like this, but he understands. And that's whenever you're right, it like shows its face. So it's just like, whoop. You can't go do that because I don't want you to do that. Like the zone, it's yeah. this living thing. And, and and the whole idea where like if you act hostile first, it'll just like decimate you. Like those military folk, and like he's like put the gun away for your sake, yeah. Kind of thing and um, just this whole idea that it'll like spite 
any humans who aren't worthy of being there is like terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And it also like opens up your imagination is like, what if I was there? Like, what would yes. that happen to me? Totally. And like, like I was just freaking out, but like because of that unpredictability is set up. So I want to say early, but it's really, no, not no, early. Yeah. <laughs> it feels early. <laughs> but because that unpredictability is like purported then, you're kind of caught up in, it's like, again, constant suspense the whole way through. So when they're kind of going through all these landscapes and these things, especially like, I'm all for the rune porn. I love like the urban exploration stuff. That's so yeah. cool. If you want me to wade through shoulder deep mystery water with oil on top, like that's not happening. Like as soon as they started doing that, I was like, oh my God, no. It was such an anxiety inducing moment. Yeah. So let's talk about then the conditions that the crew and the cast were put through for this, just to get the downer out of the way. It's like, once you watch the movie, it's like they, they filmed everything like props to like having it like it's so cool all the ruins them going through but <laughs> so yes so let's talk about you know so yeah while we're on the subject of that let's talk about the downer kind of thing of what the cast and crew was put through like yes it is immaculate like ruins you feel like no way like this could have been built on a set mm-hmm. and it's because it wasn't it was all shot in Estonia, like abandoned power plants. On location, yeah. And due to good old Soviet safety measures, a lot of stuff. Is... I mean, we don't have to say Soviet safety measures. We can say 1970s safety measures. That's true. <laughs> Globally, <laughs> yeah. in the 70s, safety measures were not tight. <laughs> And they, because of that, there's a lot of chemical exposure, especially like the scenes, like we just learned with the red foam on the river was from a paper. Yeah, which I I was watching that and I I wrote down specifically, I was like, what is this? I I thought, is it quicksand? Is it like some kind of... I thought so too. Yeah, Yeah. thing like that. And then I thought maybe it's a camera effect. Maybe they filmed it still and then added the waves in. That's what I thought too. But now that we know, like, yeah, go ahead and say it because it's it's shocking genuinely. Yeah, it's chemical runoff from a paper processing. Yeah, pulp. Just floating on the river and then there's all that... Like, um, there's this shot of like all like the, what looks like snow, but it's actually kind of chemicals. Yeah. And, it's like, just like debris in the air. Like, yeah. Dust so and... particulates, like really big particulates of like yeah. chemical plant that they were shooting near. Yeah. And like, you got to think it's like, there's not just one guy with a the camera. There's a whole crew filming that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then them also wading through the abandoned oil slick yeah those um, those poor actors who oh are like god also i i just want to say like like i had a laugh out loud moment when it cause it wasn't even funny but that whole scene when they first get into the first building mm-hmm. and they um go to find that like um like access cart like railway access yes cart. yes and so the first gentleman goes and he's like stepping in all these things and making sure not to step in the water. Yeah. And then he waves the other two over. And then they just get out of the car and walk straight through all yeah. the water. <laughs> and I started laughing out loud because I was just like, oh, okay. So he didn't have to do that. It was just... Just his character just being like, I don't want to get wet. <laughs> Which would be me. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than walking down the street and stepping in a puddle and then your foot soaked for the rest of the walk. Oh, gosh. So he knew. Yeah. He knew. But later on, they all get dirty and soaked. Which is yes. also really cool to see. Getting out of the whole downer of 
because, uh, well, before we move on, the director died because of this a yes. chemical exposure. One, uh, the writer, actor, mm-hmm. uh, most likely died. And same thing with the, we learned the... His wife, I think. The, his wife and the cinematographer and probably a couple other people. Yeah. Yeah, there was, I want to say like one more person who I was reading about, but I don't think I, I included it here. Um, but yeah, just like cancerous, like car- carcinogens that yeah. they were probably exposed to on the set of this. Because... Not very good for your health at all. No, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> so yeah, so there, there's that, but moving out of that, they, they maintain after a certain point, a certain level of like filth on the characters, mm-hmm. which is like present because they're like wading through these like this yeah. environment, like this hostile. This ever-changing yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. Ever-changing, hostile environment. That's yes. the best way to describe it. Where you don't know where you should step and everything like mm-hmm. that. So that's what I, I found really cool with the bolts and the medical uh, gauze. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, like, and of course, like I was thinking of it originally in the context of like landmines and testing mm-hmm. for those and like just the whole kind of no man's land thought and like coming off of the war, like mm-hmm. it, it felt so, um, like obviously there's a lot to invoke, you know, things about World War II and things about gulag camps and like terrible, yeah. <laughs> all that terrible stuff. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I just spat a little bit. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but like that was really cool because whenever I was watching it, I'm like, why does that sound so, fam- why does that look so familiar? And I remembered, and I'm going to talk a lot about the video game Stalker in this because I played it. It's one of my favorite ones. It is one of my favorite video games uh, because I've had a blast playing and then just learning about it. So I'll I'll bring it up every now and then. But there is a mechanic in it where even from the beginning of the game, you get bolts to throw. Mm. Because this the video game is directly, they borrow heavily from the 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 novel and the movie mm-hmm. in terms of that, but they twist it and put it into the setting of Chernobyl, okay. which that is their zone. Okay. Kind of gotcha. So there's a lot of similarities, especially like with, um, the military cordoning off the zone because you started off in it, mm. but then there's, a, you can see like a military base, like right over from where you start, but you use that to detect anomalies, what they're called like hostile things like yeah. the, in the environment, the, the, the traps. Yes, as, exactly. As the stalker calls them, right? and they're actually like traps that yeah. they're called. And there's like different ones, like traps for humans, is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> death traps. Every trap is a death trap. So mm-hmm. it, essentially, like there's ones that like spin you around and throw you up, or like oh, so like in the video game, you you encounter these. Yeah, like, you do, and like how you detect them and how you like. Cool. Okay. Yeah, get rid of them is by throwing the bolts or like the nuts. Yeah, and it's really cool. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. Interesting. Yeah. I'm so intrigued. I, I had no idea what he was doing. I, at first, I thought when he started looping the gauze ar- uh, around the nuts, I was like, is he making a weapon? Yeah. And, and, and then my mind kind of stayed on that track. And then I'm watching him do this, and I was like, and I'm thinking, like, this is the weakest weapon I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, well, David and Goliath, maybe, like, you know, like spinning it around and then throwing it. Like, yeah, but I feel like a, a bolt would not have as much weight as, like, a stone, even. You know? That's true. <laughs> And they were pretty thick, but you'd have to have some pretty good accuracy, too. I was just like, wow, this is, like, the saddest weapon I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, you could just make a spear or something. (laughs) But then it made more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Of treating, like, the zone as this, like, living thing. It's like, if you throw it, it's like there's something hostile there that doesn't want to go through. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. And 
I'll bring it up more as we go along because I could talk about it endlessly. All day. So that's, yeah. But yeah. Uh, speaking about talking about it endlessly, I'm glad we changed our format too, or else we would be talking about this movie for five hours. Going oh my God, it. yes. <laughs> it would take us like seven and a half hours to get through it because it's three hours. <laughs> yes, and there's so much like to dissect in each kind totally. of like story linear. Frame. Yeah, and I like maybe it might be cool to talk about each character because obviously they're representing some kind of like archetypal presence, right? And some kind of very, very pure sentiment and like mm-hmm. aspect of humanity that that then is reflected in this environment of like you know all these existential questions and all of these this kind of reality that's being questioned. Yeah, this movie's a thinker for sure. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, like almost to a heavy-handed extent. It like is, yeah. like going back to it, I was like. Obviously, this is a fantastic movie, but yeah, definitely, like, I mean, maybe it's just because I've seen it and dealt with, you know, movies that are, that have been inspired by it and everything before, but it just felt so like, yes, we're nihilistic and, you know, like nose. this kind of yeah, stuff yeah. going on and yeah, very on the nose in some mm-hmm. cases, but um, like just about the stalker and like, I was just, I'm always caught up with this image of him when he first arrives and he throws himself on the ground and, and he, he says, you know, this is it where we're home now. And you can yes. tell that he has like such a connection to this geographical space and like that it's like intrinsically linked into like his being and then his like child's being is what they keep talking about. Like the marks yes. and the curse of this like stalker character, like these stalker people and their children are always like this and have these abilities or whatever else. And uh, yeah, it's just this moment where he's like rolling around in the grass and like breathing it in and he looks so at peace and it contrasts so heavily to like the first shot when he wakes up in bed except he doesn't wake up because he's already awake and yeah, he's just he's like just looking. Lying, laying there like yeah. questioning like i don't want to be here and like on edge and then mm-hmm. you have like the train coming through and everything like contrast that with this image of him like with his eyes closed and just very peaceful, very soft mm-hmm. in this like long, beautiful grass. And he's like, Oh yeah, the flowers grew again. And, but yeah. they have no scent. They have e- no even scent though they and... have no scent, he's still breathing everything in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that might be his character represents longing for escapism and getting out. Right. And in a more extreme sense, rather than the two characters, the writer and the professor who you find out later and even giving them just the name, of writer and professor, right? That's heavy handed on the totally. nose kind of thing, which disconnects them from having a real name and mm-hmm. representing something else. Yeah, but because none of these people are individuals. They are yeah. just like what they are at, in essence. The embodiment of it. Yeah. 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 No, totally. And yeah, just this really interesting like dynamic between the stalker and those two characters, but also this kind of like like this weird destiny of like this is this is all of his meaning here yeah and all of a sudden because he believes that he's altruistic right Mm -hmm. like he believes that he's doing this out of the good of his heart and bringing people to this room that will like make them happy Mm -hmm. um and then then he gets called out on it and like his whole system changes because of these external forces that are coming in and who represent the other side of the coin of like no, like ha- happiness is never achieved. Happiness is always just beyond reach, and you or know, happiness doesn't really exist. It's just a construct, right? Kind of thing where those two collide, mm-hmm. and like they argue between each other, right? Like oh, the whole totally. time, and then they combine and attack him at the end, right? Whenever yeah. happiness is kind of almost like right at the forefront. 
Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, it's such a, and it's this whole like theme, right? Where it's like it, it'll never get there, and like there actually is no meaning whenever your system is is flawed at its core mm-hmm. because you're like like I think what the whole thing that the doctor and the professor like turn back on him is, you know, we're afraid of people exploiting this room, but you've exploited us by letting us pay you to bring us here. Yeah, when you know it might be the end of us. Mm-hmm. kind of thing and like the end of us or um the end of the world in mm-hmm. terms of getting whatever you want so right yeah yeah and uh yeah i'll bring up the game again because the <laughs> ultimate end of the whole game is to go to the chernobyl power plant where that's the monolith is kind of like the broom mm. and whenever you get there you get to have like a wish right and it's right. usually always twisted to be kind of like like there's there's a couple different endings to the game. Right, because it's one... your subconscious, not your conscience, still. Exactly. Is that what it plays off? Of yeah, because like depending on what you do in the game, like if you loot everybody in the game and like take all their money, take all their money, take all their money, by the time you get to the end of the game, yeah. your character wishes for like money, but then he gets buried in a sea of gold coins. Right. Okay. Yeah, right in the room, or one of like I forget the real ending of it, but it's kind of similar to that. But there's also the, like the kind of gooder, like gooder, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> better, better ending. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, uh, the better ending is um, your character wishes for the zone to never have existed, mm-hmm. and then he wakes up in a field and it's all gone, but he's blind. So kind of like the same, same similarities right. there. So there's there's a. A, a consequence to it yes which which is also the message here right where, where, where it's like you can never get what you think you want because it's not what you actually want and what you want only comes with consequence same thing with the porcupine right like mm-hmm. he's talked about where he, he wanted his brother back but he went in and he got money right and it wasn't what because he you can't control what your wish is exactly which is the the fascinating thing about this because like um I don't think I was, like, I, I now know I wasn't alone in thinking this, but whenever it switched to color, I was like, is this just a darker, like, anti-humanist version of The Wizard of Oz? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then when I was reading, that's, like, something that other people have picked up on, too, because that's what The Wizard of Oz is, right? Like, Dorothy, you know, Deja's Auntie M goes over the rainbow, and, and then they go off to get these wishes from this wizard, right? And it's these people who are, who are lacking one thing, to their, um, you know, eternal happiness, allegedly. And they're all going to go to the wizard and ask for these, for this one thing that they need to Mm -hmm. be a complete person. Yes, that's true. And and so I was like, oh my God, this is the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) And and other people have picked up on it too. And I just think that that's so funny because it is that, but it's not like the reality that we're returning to is not better than before. It's just yeah. as bleak. It's just as meaningless. Like the whole thing with the wife's diet, like diatribe at the end, like she's basically saying like happiness is impossible to achieve. So it's better to have conditional happiness and occasional happiness than to live any other way. Right. And it's just, which is so depressing. It's a very nihilistic <laughs> look on like, well, not nihilistic. Nihilistic would be like, it has no meaning. Like, I mean, it's kind of a nihilistic movie. I think it definitely can be read in that way because, like, the only people who are attributing meaning are the characters. And as a spectator, I felt like it was really easy to see 
that all of it's pointless and that like it doesn't actually matter do you know yeah. what i mean like like that hopefulness it seems like the characters were much more invested on hanging on to it than i was yeah because or just yeah their their willingness to get to the end of it right mm -hmm. right and then questioning it along the way and doing everything so yeah but that russian wizard of oz like comparison <laughs> kind of thing was like it made me think of it. I was like, yeah, that does have the same structural narrative. Of it, it totally does. Yeah. And and even with the switching between like sepia and color yeah. film, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and they have yeah. a dog. Yeah, they have a dog, which kind of follows them around. Which, Super cute. Yeah, I don't know. Doggy. Was that supposed to represent? I feel like that dog probably got poisoning too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking about it too. Because <laughs> it's going in that water, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't around for some of the shots, so I'd like to think it left led a happy life, like in The Wolfman. I'm sure it led a happy life. It just might have shaved off a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it led a happy life. It's just the expectancy the, the was expected, not quite it there. It got reduced a little bit. Um, but there is also the, the thing, it's like, was the dog supposed to represent death, do you think? Like, following them and, like, kind of like a... Like, like this looming presence? Yeah, because this mm. whole maybe journey could be attributed to being in limbo to me. Yeah. And like going towards the end of your yeah, life and finding okay. meaning along the way. And, and, and the whole you can never get out the way that you came, like that mm -hmm. kind of thing too. Interesting reading. Maybe. I don't know what that dog represents. I, I just kept uh, seeing it and going like, aww. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's a shot of it like with like the bodies and the tree growing out. Of the mm -hmm. bodies, like just sitting there, so it's like, okay, he obviously meant something by this. Like, it's definitely heavy handed. Oh my like, god, I didn't even pick up on that, but mm -hmm. you're probably like that makes a lot of sense, and I definitely think that that can be read. Like, because, you can argue yeah, it for sure because they just accept the dog into like their surroundings after, so then they accept that death is inevitable as of part of the cycle, kind yeah. of thing. Interesting. I like that take. Um, there. What else was I going to say about the dog? Oh, this is kind of unrelated, but not really. But just kind of having the reaction that I shouldn't be having to like a movie like this. Um, I like. <laughs> Sorry, Hollywood has ruined me. I'm sure it's ruined many other people. But there were so many like medium shots of the stalker where I was like, ready for him to say a line is Woody Harrelson. Yes. And I was like, why has Hollywood done this to me? Like, I keep thinking it's Woody, like, because it, it just he, looks he like looks him from like some him. angle, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I kept wanting him to be like, all right, we're going to like, yeah. go, go out this way now or something. Yeah. You know? Sorry, I don't know why I gave Woody Harrelson a really bad accent. He does not talk like that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, he, like, it, he does definitely look like him, and it's true. But, like, he always has, like, kind of, like, the same... Um, the expression that Woody Harrelson always has to me is like, kind of like confused, but pained. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is so it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I was like kind of taken aback. And then, um, there were also certain angles where the artist was giving me like very like Viggo Mortensen vibes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just need to stop comparing this to all like the, like, you know, Hollywood actors that I can think of, like, you need to stop Sarah <laughs> as mad at myself. It, it's kind of funny, too, though, but, like, the three characters in there all kind of look similar. Like, balding, yeah. 
like very short cropped hair. All the blue-eyed Russian men. Yes, and like very <laughs> like stoic faces, which mm-hmm. could be read as that they're like an allegory for they're all the same character but different views. Right. Kind of yeah. Going through life. So that's yeah, why no, I, I I think you got you're onto something there for sure yeah. because like they're obviously meant to again like represent not themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a. Uh, yeah, they're not supposed to look unique from each other or yeah, individual and they, in any way. They very much look similar. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's kind of... And it's kind of weird, too, where I was reading into what they were carrying. All three characters were carrying along with them. Mm. Of um, One needed a heart. Yes, one, one needed, needed a brain. <laughs> <laughs> and one needed his wish fulfilled. Yeah. Of taking over the world. Um, <laughs> but it was... The one character, the writer, always carrying around a plastic bag of just something. You never know what's really in there, like, mm-hmm. you know, but kind of like maybe an attachment to commercial goods, which represents that. Um, mm-hmm. The other professor getting very kind of homely goods, like sandwiches, lunch, and then later a bomb, as you find out. Um, and then yeah. the stalkers, where he was um, just carrying around very practical goods kind of thing for the life. So I think it that you could read into mm. as well of just like what they're carrying along with them throughout the whole journey. Yeah. And it's so interesting that he has this whole, like, like the whole thing with the rucksack and about how he left it behind. And now it's like, not, um, like, you know, that that's, that that's his big secret mm-hmm. that he's like carrying around and he's just conveniently like, I, I don't know. It's just weird. how it's like conveniently discarded for a second and then it's back and like, at, yeah. Maybe I wasn't following that properly. Yeah, I think it was just like like um, the like the video we were watching. It allows your mind to wander. I think this movie. Oh, completely, and just over these like very like abstract scenes too, mm-hmm. right? Like it's all these shapes and these like um, like I was so uh, like it's it's just so gorgeous. Everything's in focus. The depth of field is crazy. When you have the sepia tones, you pick up this like incredible texture mm-hmm. of all of the sets and all of the items and just like those very tight shots on like a wall or a table or you know and the kind of slow wandering camera over it just allows you to take in all of these like um flaws in the walls and in like the the surroundings of everything the decay it's of so everything. incredible yeah. yeah because one thing that like i'm still used to watching western movies where like they just the camera was still and the actors were acting inside of it. No, there was no mm. movement, but if there was, it was a slow movement over or anything like that. There was right. no fast And then they're movement. like cutting from face to face while people are talking and that's yes. it. Yeah. And it really allowed you to, like, I still think of like whenever they're getting the rail cart in the sepia tone, where mm-hmm. it's just them kind of all in getting this thing moving and all the stuff. And it just doesn't move from there, but it feels like there's so much more action than just whenever a camera's totally. moving, like fake kind of like, you know how like in Western movies, they like move the camera to like simulate action. Yes. Kind yeah. of thing where it's just like, it's just in there. Where like you're, this. you're along for, for the ride, but you're limited to what the characters are experiencing exclusively. Yes. And that's, that's what makes it so suspenseful. And that's what makes it so tension filled. And I, I, I love that so much. Yeah. 
because so there are shots where it feels like you're watching these characters from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So, quote unquote, a stalker, like just yeah, it, them. that's exactly it. The whole like kind of voyeur voyeuristic sensibility of where the camera is placed, mm-hmm. what it's focused on, is is so much like that. I think you're totally on the nose with that. Yeah, because there's that one one shot where they go through like the the car where that has the corpses in it with the military mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like the camera moves in there the and then sits there and then you're watching them yeah so yeah that to me was really cool it's just like wow like kind of re like rejiggered myself of this like whenever i first started watching this like okay i'm just gonna lay down watch this i hope i don't fall asleep but then it kind of really engaged me Right, but because it's never the thing that you expect it to do. And yeah. I think especially coming from, like, people who are more attuned to, like, Western and, like, faster-paced editing and everything. And, and I want to say, too, in Soviet filmmaking, like, this was, I mean, obviously there are, you know, anomalies in every movement or whatever. But this was not the norm, right? Like, this mm-hmm. kind of shot length, this kind of lingering, this very um, aesthetic filmmaking was not it. Like, the in the 20s like montage took over Soviet filmmaking and everyone was like, fast this, fast this, really? fast cuts. We want to um, basically like make emotion through association, which is what montage is, right? So you're yes. cutting this with this to get this reaction. And uh, that's what it was fo- focused on. And like the Soviets kind of invented montage. Huh. So like that was their thing. So to do this is like decidedly against that tradition. Mm-hmm. And intentionally so, and like, um, let me try and find a quote here. I'm gonna take a spoiler too. Yeah. Um, but I wanna talk about the average shot lengths because I have that here. And also what the conversation was between um, Goskino, which was like the, like that's the production company, but that's mm-hmm. like the government production company because obviously it's Soviet. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Soviet Russia. There's not film production happening outside of the government. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a hand involved somehow. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let me just do a little bit of reading here. Oh, yeah. So, okay, here we go. The film contains, this is, um, I think, from Wikipedia maybe. Yeah. So this is like what the, I mean, Wikipedia, there's another source for it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got it from. The film contains 142 shots in 163 minutes, with an average shot length of more than one minute and many shots lasting for more than four minutes. Um, so that's like, that's unheard of today. Mm-hmm. Because like shot length averages have been, de- have been like decreasing so much in the past like 50 years, maybe. It's just like a steady decline. So like they used to be quite longer. And part of that, especially in early filmmaking, like, one shot was the whole movie because that's what you could technically yeah. do. And the, the technology yeah. was not advanced enough to move beyond that. Mm-hmm. But then, um, like, as I was saying in, in the twenties, like montage editing was like kind of created and you have the ability. It's like, okay, well we can do all of this shooting and then just cut and like, we can, you know, make whatever we want to. But that was kind of, especially in Hollywood, seen as, like, not conducive to storytelling. Okay. So, like, experimental editing just didn't fit in with what Hollywood felt was, like, regular storytelling because they were borrowing from kind of a more theatrical tradition. Okay. Of, like, we're going with this chronology, like, everything's happening in order. Like, you know, we're going from this scene to this scene. We're always going to make it clear when we're going to change this. And, like, yes. very obvious to the audience, right? Um, And then art cinema kind of like starts out and you have 
more experimental stuff. And part of that is this like slice of life, like we're going to film, like we want the audience to experience things in real time. So we're going to linger and like a person, you know, getting up and making coffee in the morning, Mm -hmm. we're just going to film how long it takes them to actually make the coffee and sit down and drink it. Yeah. Like it's more of that feel, right? So you're kind of going with a different impulse, different experience. And he was that it was like, I want time to be passing with the story. And it was, and it definitely like in the opening shot, he wakes up, puts his pants on, goes out like quietly brushes his teeth. And then his wife wakes up. So that's definitely where I think a lot of people would check out from there. Oh, totally. Because it's so strange. Right. And like the, the the first line happens 10 minutes in Mm -hmm. into the runtime. There's nothing said for the first 10 minutes. So I feel like, yeah, I, I yeah. know a lot of people who would turn it off after five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I like <laughs> not for, I've been wanting to watch this movie for a long time. And then this kind of gave me the deadline of like, okay, you need to watch it, which is great because it like me and my, my ADD <laughs> would have just been like, okay, I know this is a great movie and everything. It's just like, <laughs> I need to get through it. And I'm glad I sat through it and everything. So gave it the time it needed and with a purpose behind it just to like, Right. Get going on, Sam. Just need to do, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we can definitely see, well, especially any movie you watch now, it's, like, to grab the audience attention, you need, like, fast cuts, fast cuts, fast cuts. So, like. Oh, and, like, like that's why, oh, my God, the filmmakers who rely on fast cuts, like, don't get me fucking started. <laughs> so, like, like, it's just, like, they're, you can still make a good movie with, like, a lot of fast cuts for sure, but it's just easier to make a better movie with a lot of fast cuts. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like you can take like really mediocre material yes, and put it with an A plus like magic editor and make it into a masterpiece. Like mm-hmm. that's simply how that works. And like, you know, we've seen it happen before. Like all of us have seen these films that take like really mundane stuff, but then the editing just turns it up to 11 for some reason. Take Edgar Wright. All of his filmmaking, right? Like just like really like that's his style. Just like, a simple mundane thing but mm-hmm. like really fast cut like yeah uh, totally like there's one the one scene in the world's end where he turns it into a joke of like fast cutting of like where they're all ordering like they all walk up to the bar and then this is whenever you find out nick frost's character is not really? drinking anymore oh and it's and he's like i'll take one water and carrie king's like what and then it shows like one beer pour one beer pour one beer pour one beer pour and then the tap like yeah. the, like the soda fountain water right yeah thing so that's where it could be used really well, but like I'm talking about like kind of like mediocre action movies where it's like you can't even tell what's going on. Right, because yeah. it's so fast. I, I know, I, I'm with you because it's like, okay, we're gonna film a fight scene and then we're never gonna let the audience see that fight scene for more than 0.2 seconds. Yeah. And it's like, what? Okay, Which like I don't even can. know where I am. And he, yeah, exactly. It's it's such a waste of time to me. Yeah. <laughs> And because it's like, I didn't get anything. It was just colors and motions. And like, I did not get yeah. that. <laughs> and this is such a breath of, breath of fresh air to reevaluate like my film watching habits. I just like, oh yeah, give it the patience, give it the time and you're going to get rewarded for and it. it. The payoff is, is, is real in, in a lot of cases, obviously not all of the slow moving movies are like a plus, you know, right. golden stars or anything. <laughs> But um, especially when we get into the art cinema avenue and like that kind of like um, also like diving more into like the social realism aspect and everything like that, like you have these 
like it's with a purpose, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So like they're not making this for entertainment. Like it's like there is a purpose to showing you what it takes for, you know, this person to get up in the morning. Yes. And like to do this thing that feels like it's every day, but like we want you to like actually be immersed in there every day. And have weight behind it. Eventually. Yeah. And like like the whole kind of impulse behind a lot of the social realist projects too is like their stories are worth telling. Like it's not about Captain America. It's about, you know, this um, working class person in this big city mm-hmm. who, you know, has the, these problems. Like yeah. that's what the movie's about. It's not about some superstar who's like fighting bad guys and like all these explosions and like endless money and like somehow yeah. he has everything he needs all the time. It's like this is real life. These are real people. So you're going to sit on the subway for six minutes with us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the way it's going to be. And that, it's still needed to show that stuff. It's still needed, right? right? There's, there's Because enter- it has an impact. Yeah. yeah. There's those entertainment movies where like you go, you know what you're paying for, but mm-hmm. then there's here you're watching and it's like kind of digesting and thinking and doing everything. Like there's mm-hmm. a cinema that you don't want to think and then there's cinema where you want to think. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, to really put it in simple terms. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's that's exactly it. It's a uh, very succinct. I like mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I was gonna say too the the thing about the uh, the Goschino like government corpse. This is like kind of a legendary conversation that allegedly happened, but I guess like the Goschino team, which like by this point, like I, I we should also say like during this era. Like, obviously, Soviet Unionism is, mm-hmm. is still operating in full swing. It's like 79, right? KGB's there. Yeah, like, yeah. we're rocking out. <laughs> not rocking out. It's not that fun. Um, <laughs> but so, like, in the 70s, though, uh, the administration was, like, sticking to the lifestyle that had kind of been accustomed. So it was, like, there wasn't a lot of change in the government. It just kind of stayed the same. Status quo. But there was, like, this perception that more money was being made. So, like, citizens started getting things, like televisions and refrigerators and cars and it was kind of this like new consumerism yes um and so like that was happening while like cultural production was like another freeze because you have again like a almost total government control over any like culture that's being produced in the ussr right Art, especially, right? Like anything right. to well, do like with... Right, like art around quotation marks, because like, yeah, the government was saying what was art, what wasn't art, who got to see it. Underground so art. Yeah. Because they're, they're, around this time, there were like uh, punk movements too in the USSR. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. So... And, 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 and like obviously a lot of resistance, but like that wasn't getting, exp- that wasn't getting exposure, right? That was getting sucked under the rug by mm-hmm. like, by the skin of their teeth, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, yeah, like, there was, um, what's I just going to say about this now? I lost my train of thought. Right. So, by this time, Goskino is just, like, a super comfortable bureaucracy. There's not a lot of innovation going on. It's mm-hmm. just we're pushing forward what we always do. Yeah. You know, cool. It's a machine. Yeah. So, basically, the Goskino, like, government rep, upon watching, like, the final cut, was like, you should make it faster and more dynamic. Because again, like that was what a lot of Soviet filmmaking was, was like montage heavy, like beginning in the twenties and kind of like developing into like, they made it more mainstream storytelling at that point. Um, when like sound films came in and everything too. Um, so it made more kind of like narrative sense, but it was still a little obviously faster than this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, uh, um, basically they're like, you need to make it faster more dynamic. And then 
Tarkovsky replied, goes to you, the film needs to be slower and duller at the start so that the viewers who walked into the wrong theater have time to leave before the main action starts. And then the, (laughs) and then the Goskino rep says like, oh, well, like I'm, I'm just like trying to say like what the audience is going to say. Like, I'm just giving that point of view. Mm -hmm. And then Tarkovsky says, this is like a famous quote too. I'm only interested in the views of two people. One is called Bresson and the other is called Bergman. Ah, okay. Which is like Ingmar Bergman and Robert Bresson, yeah. right? Like they're two iconic art filmmakers. And um, I just like, I always read that quote. And I'm like, obviously Tchaikovsky can be like pretentious because he makes that shit. Like yeah. that's allowed. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> but like, I just always think of this quote, like coming out of the mouth of like some like dude bro who I met in film school in like 2014 <laughs> and I just like <laughs> like I'm just picturing like the only people I care about are Bergman and Brasso and I'm just like that is such a pretentious like film bro thing to say like shut the fuck up man you know uh but yeah <laughs> it's like whatever I said is like oh I gotta start editing the podcast maybe I'll take up smoking again and then you're like that's a film thing to say <laughs> you, you got you got your, your finger on the pulse <laughs> I was like are you a functioning substance abuser? You belong in the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, run by functioning alcoholics. I'm not lying. <laughs> cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> Can you hear my ice cubes, guys? That's my gin and ginger ale. Gin and gin. Gin and gin. Um, Ginny Ginny. Yeah. And then another, another thing I wanted to talk about getting out of um, film land. Yeah was no (laughs) (laughs) we're going back we can't go out the way we came (laughs) this is the uss united sarah soviet films (laughs) (laughs) we can't leave film land and i will say what we can and can't talk about (laughs) uh there is the driving of that vehicle in the scene of where they're getting out into the zone. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy shit, they're going to crash sometimes. And then there was that scene where they backed in and they actually hit the, like the door and then continued acting. Do you mean like when they're like going in, through the military occupied zones? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That like little truck when he's yeah. like, when he's like, do you have the, the top down? It was like the question as they were like gearing up for it. And I was like, why does that matter? And then I was like, oh, I see now. Yeah, cause it, It's because it, they're getting shot at. Enter, enter and exit out of the thing. It's like, okay, get out. And then like, <laughs> yeah. like that was probably like the most action heavy, like part of the movie, but mm-hmm. it's still like, you can tell it's like whenever like you see driving in like a modern film, it's never like that. Like even in Hollywood, like, classic like bullets or anything like that yeah. like think of all the famous hollywood car chase movies or just driving scenes it's not like this because it's just this janky ass little truck and it's like one point it's riding on the rails i know and like, the wheels the are yeah the wheels are stuck in the, like the back wheels are stuck in the train track and like they're still driving because the front two wheels are like it's now, like now I know the diagonal. I also thought yeah. they were going to crash. I know exactly what you It's mean. like, how are you still driving? And then they get out of the train tracks and go. Yeah. And it's, it's like, oh my God. And then, oh. then he just drives it into the water in that yeah. abandoned building. And you're like, okay. It's like, yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. Is this like an ad for a Soviet vehicle as well? <laughs> the off-roading Soviet vehicle? Mm-hmm. Um, well, no. I don't think they would have sold commercially. No. 
<laughs> I'm we would have just on, given everyone one. Maybe I'm, it's because I'm sold on the reliability of that vehicle. <laughs> after, Honestly, after watching like, this one. I, I was thinking the same thing, though. I was thinking, like, oh, my God, like, this is some real shit. And it's it's so much more realistic than many car chases in movies. It is. Because then, like, these guys are doing it right. They're trying to be as quiet as possible, and that's why they're, like, stopping and, mm-hmm. like, being slow and, like, being quiet, you know? I'm yeah. like, that's how it's done. Not any of this Italian job. I'm going to, like, yeah, my Mini Cooper shit. Like, that doesn't happen. You know? And, like, the, 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 like, the urgency feels real in it oh yeah no like like high tension for sure like that that scene when they when he stops it and he's like like get down now and then Mm -hmm. the guard comes up i was like oh my god yeah i was like oh wow shit stakes are real. like stakes are high like this is the life or death And, and i was just thinking like um i mean i think about it from time to time like because how can you not but about like no man's land between mm-hmm. east and west berlin yeah and that whole like where it, if you get caught in that zone like you will be shot on sight and you will be killed no matter i think it was both sides too right oh yeah no no it, mm. it's, it's literally this like area of like strip yeah. 900 meters or like one kilometer or whatever it's like not that big Mm-hmm. And you can see it, and, and it's the gate, essentially. But basically, people would try and go from one side of the wall to the other, right? But the wall has this space in between it. Yes. And that's the space where it's like, basically, they had guards 24-7, and if you were seen, mm-hmm. you would get shot and killed on sight. And yep. that's just the way, that's what you were risking. You were mm-hmm. risking your life. And I just, it's incredible to think about. And obviously, those themes carry over so much to, like, this yeah. like, setting. Which is kind of weird, because there was some anti-communist tones to it and i was like how is this coming out there's like anti like you say that and i feel it but i would even go as far to say like anti-humanist tones yeah like it is so bleak it's so like nothing can ever be good because everyone is always bad all the time the end mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's like the moral of the story you know and i was just like this is like going beyond any kind of these people are bad and like there's hope like because even though he keeps saying that he's doing it for hope that there is hope and that the hopeless this is their last resort that they come to i'm like there's nothing like there's no hope clearly like for me that was that's what the movie was saying even though the dialogue was one thing i was like this ending and this thing because it's like that whole ambiguous ending you're like just because that happened doesn't mean that her life is going to be any better than his is mm-hmm. and I, you could also, to me, you keep saying anti-humanist, but you could look at it as humanist in saying that the stalker has this great view on helping people, but these two opposing forces break them down. And right. like, that's how everybody ends up in the, in the end. Yeah. And that those two imposed, like, I, I would go, like, add to that and say those two imposing forces are also inevitably within yourself. Yeah. And like, so it's just like all fucked all the time. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is how I was reading it. Uh-huh. And that's that's a great thing about like I want <laughs> to other people to watch this movie and talk with them about it because you, you can definitely interpret it so many ways. Mm-hmm. It's and I think this is maybe my gateway into art cinema. Like oh um, yeah, so you're a newbie to this. Yeah, eh? so I'm a newbie. Of just we're gonna like, have lots of fun. Yeah. I feel like like in our um, February month, like that's a lot of contemporary art cinema. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the like art house kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the directed by women, right? Or, or, uh, yeah, L- like um, 
lovers. Uh, doomed lovers. Doomed women lovers. loving women edition. Yes. Women who love women edition, I guess. For Valentine's Day. For VD. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cannot call it that. <laughs> Every year I'm like, Sarah, okay, try and go the whole day without referring to it as VD. And I just can't. <laughs> It just fits so well. I, I just can't help be, being that like that extra voice who's like happy VD, and then it's just I want I want that to be in everyone's heads for the whole day. Now it's in mine. You're welcome. <laughs> um, also, one thing I want to add, uh, getting back to the stalker Shadow of Chernobyl, the video game, mm. they made that in Ukraine. Like it was a Ukraine uh, based uh, development company, like video game company. And they based it, they changed the location of like this fictional country to uh, Chernobyl, like in-house mm-hmm. like kind of thing. Um, and it's, you can see a lot of similar similarities behind here. And like, you know, like the marked one is what they call your character because he has the mark of stalker on his arm, like mm-hmm. tattooed, which is a, an anagram for like scavenge. Like, oh, okay. Has, so, like, so it means it has additional meaning. Yeah, it has additional game? meaning, gotcha. and then like kind of expanded on the lore of it. Obviously, pumped up the action because it's like first-person shooter RPG, and you make de- like choices and decisions. And okay. They're talking about mutants in this one, and there's actual mutants yeah. in the game. Yeah, well, and, it's so uh, alluded to in the mm-hmm. movie, right? Like, yeah. Especially at the end scene, right? Oh, like, totally. Pushing, with the daughter. Yeah, pushing. Also, me. I'm sorry, but that my fashion moment of this week <laughs> was like that tightly knit babushka that she's yeah, yeah. wearing, like, or not tightly knit, but it's very like intricately knit. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. And it's like, yeah, it's I like kind of laced it. in between. Like, it's like knit, but then there's like a lacing of like another. Yeah, it, it's very intricate. Like you can tell that like that's. Some serious mm-hmm. craftsmen, like lace making, tatting yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we get back to the leathers of post apocalyptic with Ooh. the stalker yeah. himself. Yeah. Leather daddy number. Uh, Russian leather daddy. <laughs> Russian leather daddy that we always wanted. <laughs> A depressed Russian leather daddy. <laughs> Not sure if I want him anymore. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to just think about all the other similarities, like. Um, one of the first areas that you have to sneak past, like a gang, you go through a tunnel full, filled with anomalies, like with mm. these broken down cars and stuff, and you have to hop from car to car and like throw the bolts again. So they definitely really borrowed from it. I'm yeah. glad I watched well, that this tunnel movie. is like natural fear. Yeah, like like that was a scary scene. And he's like, I don't want to do it. I was like, Yo, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> I would. And for, like, the actors to sell it like that, too, like, where he's ahead and, like, the camera movement of, like, you don't know where he is and, like, yes. winding tunnel. And and you never have the the confirmation that they've followed him until much later. Yeah. And, then, and that freaked me out. Like, and even, time. like, the stalker hiding behind the professor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, going up and I was, like, kind of thing. It's, it's creepy. Yeah. And, again, okay, we'll get back into it. Um... <laughs> One of the things I found interesting is the writer saying, like, you're playing God in this and, like, you have control over this and everything. Um, maybe, like, he probably, like, the stalker probably didn't see it like that as because he's taking them on a journey. It, they have to do it themselves, too, mm-hmm. is why he always made them walk first. Yeah. Right? To find out something. Yeah, well, he he says that 
later on, like, I never make the choice because, like, making the wrong choice is a bad thing, right? Okay. So he, he purposefully, like, like, because when he's talking to the guy and he's like, oh, like, you had two long matches, it's yeah. like, well, no, because you could have... You could have said, no, I'm not going. Yeah. And you, you could have just done that and then not gone, but that was still your choice that you were copying to it kind of thing. Which and is like a whole other discussion you could get into. Oh, yeah, like totally. Because now you're choice. like free will into yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's so existential. Like the whole film, all of the dialogue is clearly surrounded by that and like influenced by the kind of existentialism discussion. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. But I, I mean, I guess it's not anti-humanist. I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm being a bit harsh now that I think about it. But I was, um, I will say that before I forget, there was one movie that I will say, like, if you like rune porn, like, I have the movie that you will love. It's super chill. Just even put on in the background. It's amazing. It's um, called Homo Sapiens, and it's by Niklas J. Halter or J. Halter. I want to say he's, like, Danish or something. I'm probably wrong. Um, but it's from 2018, maybe. And okay. what it is, it's a documentary. And it um, is, like, kind of a documentary, kind of an essay, almost, like, science fiction-y film. Uh, and it's all these spaces that have been abandoned. So so it's just, okay. like, like camera set up in the runes. And then you just stay with it for, like, five or six minutes at a time. Huh. And so it'll be like, you're just sitting there. And like, so the like mics are there and the camera's on, but there's nothing else going on. So you're just listening and watching. So it could be very meditative. Oh, it's very meditative, like very meditative, but also like some scenes are just like even so chilling and weird looking. Mm. Yeah. So like Niklas Jeghalter. Oh, Austrian filmmaker, my apologies. But the last name is like G-E-Y-R-H-A-L-T-E-R. Um, and the movie's it. called Homo, Homo Sapiens, which might be easier to remember, yeah. <laughs> from 2016. Yeah. And it is um, like, yeah, just this kind of like, like you just go into these scenes. There's like no human involvement. It's just from scene to scene to scene. So um, like one of my favorites was this building. Uh, it looks like it was somewhere... Like, it was somewhere tropical, like, definitely somewhere in the southern, like, towards the equator. Um, There was a palm tree that had fallen into a building. So it was, like, this abandoned, like, it looked like maybe a hotel lobby or something like that. And these palm trees had fallen and damaged the roof. So it was, like, the camera was set up staring at this, like, lobby area that used to have all these, like, great windows. Mm -hmm. But now it's just, like, some, like, benches and chairs that are abandoned and like haven't been used in years, obviously. And then just these trees that have taken the windows out and are sitting there, um, that have fallen. And so the like trees are flat and you're just kind of watching these chairs and these trees. And it's like the roof is half gone. So like, it's like half lit, like kind of contrasted. And you just sit there for like five or six minutes, like watching and listening to the wind blowing through, through the leaves of the trees. Mm. And it is just, yeah, like it's really cool. And if you're one of those people who, you know, goes on a Tumblr, goes onto YouTube and like looks up rune porn. This movie was made for you is what I'm saying. <laughs> so definitely check it out if you're into that. Yeah. And that's definitely like on theme for this movie too. Of oh, na- totally. Nature reclaiming. That was like, to be honest, that's part of why I like it so much. Like I could even just turn it on on mute, even though the sound mixing and the co- composing in this is uh-huh. incredible. Um, visually, that's why I like it is because mm-hmm. of this like, 
it's just so like the scenes in the zone are just so meditative and peaceful almost and like again that very slow lingering it offers so much aesthetically it does and like if you didn't have the sound mixing and stuff like a lot of scenes wouldn't be as suspenseful as they are Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I can totally see it on the background and just like these long shots of like, especially like you're saying the depth of field, it's like these huge, you can see everything. Yeah. Field of view. Yeah. It's amazing. So it's just, I'm thoroughly impressed by this. I'm glad I watched it. I'm definitely going to be watching it again. Yeah. But like, just, like, like we should definitely watch more of his films. Yeah. I would definitely, cause I was watching like a couple other like video essays on it and whatever, mm-hmm. and they were showing like shots of it and I'm like, Ooh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like very kind of like hitting a p- place in my brain. It's like, yes, like yeah, aesthetically totally. pleasing and storytelling. So, mm-hmm. cause there was, I definitely want to watch Solaris by him. Um, that was his, yeah. um, 72, I think, or something. 72. I want to say, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Mm-hmm. Which looks amazing yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, like again, like gorgeous and, um, it'd be interesting. I, I didn't realize that it was like maybe a response to 2001. So it'd yeah. be interesting to watch those two next to each other. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I think it's going to be exciting to get like, cause now I'm thinking like, if you haven't seen art cinema, like we obviously this one of his idols, like we have to watch films by Ing- Ingmar Bergman as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, about fil- like these kinds of filmmakers and art house filmmakers and the auteur type people. Um, it's going to be interesting to get into those because as you can tell all these stories, like he was obviously a very difficult person to work with. Yeah. Obviously completely anal perfectionist, meticulous to no end, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Kubrick being the same way, yeah. like notoriously difficult and you know, all these kind of filmmakers who have these visions and we can definitely get more into that. And I think that's an exciting avenue to kind of explore more art cinema in. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, this was, let me, I'm going to do a quick scan, but how long have we been talking for? Uh, usual time. Almost an hour. Uh, one thing that is cool that I'm seeing here now that I didn't mention before was about how, um, Tarkovsky was intentionally like making it the, um, Aristotelian like unity where everything happens in like like the time space it's like one event Mm -hmm. so it's like uh what is the rule again a single location a single action within 24 hours of time okay yeah yeah. the only time that passes really fast is whenever they take a nap like Mm -hmm. all of them and then uh which is that's where the keep your complexes to yourself comes in which is the best. It's like, you know, like whenever like you're, you're getting really sleepy and you're talking with somebody and this is like, like those kind of conversations are different. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just talking with somebody and like you're really sleepy. You can definitely tell us between those, the writer and the professor. I found that kind yeah. of funny. And then you There could, were some weird funny moments. Yeah, there was. <laughs> Wait, we did talk about the hat. Oh yeah, the hat on, on the top. roof of the yeah. car. That was good. That was a good visual gag. I really liked. Yeah, that. I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of like levity. <laughs> it's behind. cheeky. Yeah, yeah it's, it's cheeky. Fun. <laughs> Very visual humor, and um, yeah, so we could definitely talk about because you could even read into the writer and the professor waking up together, like side by side, whenever they were far away. Mm, kind of thing. You mm-hmm. can read into that. You can delve into so much with this. Like, oh, totally. We could sit here and talk for the next three hours. Absolutely. Yeah. And and just thinking of like the kind of 
like obviously we saw in that little video essay that we were watching about like the ties to annihilation and like it's had such a huge influence on so many things mm-hmm. i was actually going through the the wikipedia section of like um you know like these are like what's attributed inspired by yes. this kind of thing and there are so many musicians that have really like att- like connected with this and i think a big part of that is like the score and the oral soundscape that it mm-hmm. creates because obviously it's totally visually rich but also the music in it is so unique yeah because i want to like rewatch it and listen closer mm-hmm. to the score because it blends so well into it oh but yeah you don't notice and it creates that feeling of suspense yeah th- there was actually i think there's i have a thing about that because um i'm thinking of the moment where there's like a scream that gets there's like two sounds that combined it's a sound bridge this Mm -hmm. is what it's called technically so you basically like start in one sound and then it bridges and like usually transitions the scene along with the sound to a different thing um and i want to say like the train whistle and the music might have been that yeah where it like combined like switching from the interior of their apartment to like the, the bar where he goes to meet um his clients mm-hmm. um i feel like it thought that was the scene that i'm thinking of where it like it picks up on a sound and carries it straight through and just bridges it yeah yeah and which is like another very cool artistic choice which you could mm-hmm. read into it yeah yeah but so there were multiple kind of, you know, natural sounds in the surroundings that were then picked up and synthesized by the sound editor oh. to make it more surreal and more strange and more yeah. mysterious. Because if you just watch it on its own, it's like, okay, they're in just like this abandoned environment, but it's that score that makes it kind of eerie, yeah. right? And just, totally. just so good at immersing you again. Mm-hmm. In it. Yeah, so it's like, like there was, I guess, a, um, like synth was like, like there was a synthesizer like heavily used, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of did that with the score and combi- yeah, again, like combined the music and the sounds and kind of created a very rich, like dynamic, I think, soundscape yeah. to the movie. Totally. And it adds, it's like, it's the other character again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's like part of the zone of like that yeah. feeling. That- no, absolutely. It's a... Uh, definitely like elemental to the to, to this the atmosphere that yeah. it creates like I, I would say yeah i kind of want to watch annihilation now that you mentioned it too have you it, seen it before no i haven't oh it's pretty good yeah it's like it's definitely longer and i, I mean i guess i only watched it once but um it, it's good it's like it's freaky sometimes and like the effects are really cool and it's very trippy oh really like, like as you can probably see from the commercials and stuff right yeah. like it's just weird yeah, and that's what, like, it got flack for, like, people just didn't understand it or whatever, but it's like, again, it's taking a risk, and that's, yeah. what, that's what I think I, I wish more filmmakers did. Yeah, and I, I mean, we can also say that that, that I, I feel like part of the blame can probably go to the marketing, because, like, um, there are so many movies, you know, where there's a star attached to it, so people have one thing in mind, Yes, and then because it's a little bit different, a little bit experimental, a little bit avant-garde, then it's not that thing that people want it to be mm-hmm. with their mainstream star. So then they just like revolt against it and hate it. Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, <laughs> this is what I want. This isn't the same cake I had before. I want the other cake. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Or, but yeah. I, there are so many films that have fallen victim victim to just like, like a, a very effective marketer, but one that did not reflect the actual movie at all. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like recent ones because there's definitely. Me? 
uh, like District 9 is like yes. my go-to example because like to me that was advertised as a heavy action, heavy sci-fi like alien flick. Wherever. And then people hated it in theaters because that's what they were going to see. And it's like, oh, it's actually about apartheid and racism and it's a drama. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, people didn't have fun with it because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Because it wasn't how it was marketed. Yeah, I remember going else. to see that with friends in yeah, theaters. Totally. And uh, they didn't like it. And I was like, well, there's more, there's more to this. Right. That, I, uh, I thought it was just going to be an okay movie. And then yeah. I was like, this is heavy like yeah. this is heavy hitting and everyone was like oh like it was bad it was boring mm -hmm. yeah that, that's my, my go-to example for that kind of shit because the marketers just totally didn't give it a chance yeah and they should have yeah yeah they they should have treated it like it was but very easy for me to judge i have not marketed any movies <laughs> yeah that's true. uh no one will hire me to do that so i <laughs> guess i should not be talking out of my ass <laughs> or it should be like i can market the shit out of any movie because yeah, I, know. <laughs> I can market your shit out of the movie to the very small percentage of the population that it appeals to. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the masses. Yeah. We'll get the, yeah, I guess that's their tactics. Like, we'll get the butts in the seats. That's the exactly it. The ones who appreciate it. it, we'll appreciate it, but we'll make our market Yeah, like, like when your distributor is fucking, like, Paramount or whatever it was, they are looking for a big bankroll on opening weekend, and they don't really care what happens after that. Yeah. So <laughs> they're like, uh, if it's profitable, it's profitable. Uh, we yeah. want that money. So so yeah, it's like from the kind of bottom line respect, even though it's completely detrimental to art making, in my opinion, is like they will completely knowingly misrepresent something to get that heavy payoff immediately, but then it'll be responded to less as time goes on. But they yeah. just don't care. Yeah. But, because it just doesn't affect them. Because yeah. they can just go on and making the next movie. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's like the filmmakers know that it might be marketed like that and people will have that reaction. Right. But in the long run, it'll be appreciated later down the line. Right. For what it actually is. Yeah. Which usually happens. But yeah. yeah. Now, interesting aspect yeah. of that, though. Just keep that in mind next time you watch a movie. That's why I, don't, I really don't watch trailers anymore for any movies. Yeah. And like when I do watch trailers, I just like have no like i feel like i appreciate them as trailers yeah but i don't i i don't put any onus on that yeah to like what i'm going into in the movie because i've learned that that's not what it's like right like, exactly again editing is magic it can make something you can make the same footage seem like two entirely different things and that's what what makes it so cool mm -hmm. um but also very easy for manipulation yeah yeah that's why i can edit you saying shit that you don't want to say, like going into this. <laughs> yeah, like, big true. I'm not that talented of an editor. So what? what I haven't listened to your last few episodes. What have I been saying, Sam? <laughs> um, that you support this and uh... just like, oh, Sarah, the uh, bigot lady who's a giant racist, and she said all this shit. And it just props me up to look better because I'm defending myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh god no it's it's uh yeah but the magic of editing the only trailers i really watch are for marvel movies and like because like comic fan and everything it's like i know what i'm getting into i right. know and, i know and, and you're looking forward to those trailers yeah, so it's, it's like I, I know that i'm going like going into it to be entertained and like mm -hmm. i can get entertained by the trailer and everything so if it's a movie I'm really looking forward to then i won't i'll stay away i'll look at stills and everything because i don't want to get spoiled yeah. and yeah so anyways <laughs> Probably wrap this up because we could talk about this movie for Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're going to revisit Tarkovsky in the future. And I'm sure this will come up in conversation because obviously it's 
a heavy mm-hmm. hitter, like like just very acclaimed, very respected amongst the global film community. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I want to go back and play <clears throat> the, the the video game again too because yeah, it's like just out. like I'll I'll show you the endings later, and you'll be like, yeah, it's definitely inspired by it. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah, and then. And the game again is still alive because of modders and like people making like adjustments to it. Cool. And like everything. They're coming out with the sequel soon as well. So nice. But yeah, it's it's cool whenever you play something that's di- like directly inspired by it, then going back and seeing the source material and being mm-hmm. like, Hey, that's that like kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, and then getting a deeper meaning behind it. So Yeah, interesting. Really but that's uh, another one of the bags, Stalker. I really thoroughly enjoyed us we're going to be taking a break uh we'll be coming back in february yeah we should be on time <laughs> no guarantees though <laughs> yeah no we uh oh. one day we'll get our shit together but it's obviously not today mm-hmm. we will see you in february <laughs> yes for vd for uh, for vd and we're doing i realized i i want to say this mm-hmm. here i know okay i realize that we have not done a single goddamn film that's been directed by a woman yet so we're gonna fix that because it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah was right to rectify. She like messaged me. She's like, "We, I was like, like, what are we doing?" I, I was like, "I don't care what you say. We're doing this for February." So, um, we're gonna take it to like the yeah, like we're going for lovers in a dangerous time is our theme, and this specifically is going to be the WLW edition. So mm-hmm. the women who love women, we're looking at these romances that are in most cases doomed, but still extremely beautiful. And like through these really, um, interesting storytellers. Yeah. And, uh, well, I guess going forward, we're, we're going to try and incorporate other different, uh, not just Western male directed. Right. So we're, Oh we're, yeah. We're, we're kind of, we're expanding for yeah, sure. We'll, we'll or try we hope and, to. Yeah. We'll try and, <laughs> we'll try and fold it in, but we'll have months here and there that are just like kind of like slotted, but, we're going to rectify it. <laughs> yeah, no. So this is like our, our month where we're going all the way in one direction yeah. to be like, we're going to focus on this for four weeks. Um, but obviously beyond that, it's like theme to theme, right? So it yeah. changes all the time. We can do anything. If you have suggestions or comments or anything like that, you can email us fourmoviespod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram fourmoviespod. That's the number four. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah. Let us know what's up. Yeah, if you want to buy t-shirts, merch, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're not at that point. No, no, no. I can uh, I can send you like a post-it note in an envelope, but you'll have to pay for the stamp. Uh, <laughs> 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 a, a little handwritten note that says thanks with a little smiley face. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll send you random junk from my apartment. Like <laughs> yeah. A beer bottle cap or... <laughs> Every week before garbage day, I'm going to come over to Sam's house. I'm going to pick through his garbage. <laughs> Maybe pick out like four or five things that I think would be cool. Then I package them up and send them out to random people. Um, wow. If anyone ever talks to us. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. My parents are going to be getting all of them for now on. But <laughs> <laughs> Here's Sam's garbage. Why are you giving this to me? <laughs> I'm like, I thought you said you listened. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you listen? What happened to... We're your biggest fan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's another one. Okay. Thanks for listening, and uh, definitely check out Stalker. Give it the time it needs. You know, sit down in an afternoon, digest it in your brain, and uh, yeah. that's another one of the books. Sweet! Sweet! <laughs>